What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> Welcome to this NBA Finals edition of the Livingston Experience, and there's been no bigger fan that's been waving the flag in the NBA playoffs than uh, my old podcast friend Darren Hill, and Darren, before I throw to you, I just wanted to point out that I went back and listened to the very first episode of our time together on the podcast, and one of the first subjects that we brought up was and when we spent a lot of time on the Philadelphia 76ers, the Minnesota Timberwolves in that first pod because we we're looking at the young cores of the NBA and there was a particular young core containing Giannis and the Kumbo and Jabari Parker at the Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> when we first did the podcast. Did you in your wildest dreams think here we are four years oh, what what is it three and a half years later probably? that the Milwaukee Bucks are now in the NBA Finals, and I guess depending on Yaz's health, may very well be the favourites to take out the championship against your Western Conference team, the Phoenix Suns, who have come up probably more as a comic relief punchline over the years we've done this podcast, uh, more often than not. Uh, what What... I mean, what were the chances, I guess, that we would be sitting here in three and a half years' time and the Milwaukee Bucks would be facing the Phoenix Suns in the NBA Finals? If you would have forced me to put odds on it, Daz, I, I would have, it would have needed to be somewhere in the realm of 100 to 1. Like, like no logic, right? No forecasting could have, could have foreseen it. None, right? For, for part of the reasons you mentioned, which was that you know, the Sixers core was so the process was just kind of starting to be built with Joel and, and Ben. So I think when we started, that would have been the year that Ben Simmons had his the, the rookie season, right? Mm-hmm. Where he kind of took the year off and <laughs> the rise of Brogdon. <laughs> um, so the Brogdon story had not been told. Um, but, well, and, and uh, quickly to interrupt you there. Yeah. You look at the Bucks team and you think Jabari's not on this team. Brogdon's not on this team. Like, so I tell you, let, let's stop it after that podcast, and I say, Jabari does his knee twice. He's at, he's pretty much out of the league. Brogdon gets traded for a bag of peanuts, and the Bucks are still in the NBA Finals. I mean, again, what was your reaction? To remarkable, remarkable, right? You, the franchise was meant to be saved by Jabari, right? That was the savior. Giannis was just still back then, even kind of this emergent, gangly you know maybe he becomes i think i even would have had a comp back then maybe he becomes nick batum right this long kind of rangy annoying defensive player i mean nick batum was a very valid kind of comp back then has a bit of a handle right so that was my perceived and perhaps many people's perceived player type great that's a great compliment next to 28 points per game jabari right that sounds pretty fun but that's a million miles away from Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler and Ben and Embiid and um, Boston, who had a war chest back then. They they just drafted Jalen, right? But they didn't even have Tatum yet. Um, so you couldn't have foreseen that story either. But 
Des, it's a one in a thousand chance. I mean, you just think that the one high lottery pick they got not only didn't pan out, they didn't get a single asset for Jabari. Not one. They finally like almost hit the lottery, right, with Jabari, and it turns into literally nothing. He signed for we better let him go unrestricted and he went to Chicago. So it's as unlikely as it is um, kind of dramatic. And as you mentioned, um, all apologies to the, the nine listeners here to the Levington experience, but this is truly like if I, when I take a moment or when I'm on my deathbed, uh, this season's like going to go down as my, you know, my, my very conscious, what's a wet dream you can have while you're awake, Daz? I can go, <laughs> my two favorite teams by a long shot, right? I've loved the Bucks since I was a kid and something grabbed me when I was a five-year-old. I think, no joke, it was the Phoenix Gorilla, the greatest mascot in the world, like dunking the basketballs and they played fast break basketball. And every now and again, when the Phoenix Suns were on TV, usually against the Lakers back then, I got to stay up really late and watch basketball. And I kind of hated the Lakers for whatever reasons, probably because they were good. I was like the underdog. And so my love of Phoenix goes way back to as we're talking 40 years plus of this. So the fact that these two are meeting, I go, no matter what happens, I'm going to look back on this finals in some way um, very, very fondly. So I'm quite excited, Daz. Well, think, I mean, I guess think back to those times. I mean, what what's the biggest shock, I guess, that Phoenix have turned to the round to get through the Western Conference or that Milwaukee have gotten through a pretty pathetic, as usual, Eastern Conference? If you just take, if you don't look at the journey for the, for the playoffs, it's clearly Phoenix, right? This is, we mocked this young core, the Dragon Bender, Alex Len, Marquise Chris, Josh Jackson. Like the Bucks failed on Jabari. They're one shot. <laughs> Phoenix failure after failure after failure. This is the franchise that took Isaiah Thomas and um, Goran Dragic in his prime and um, who am I missing? Um, and uh, young emergent Eric Bledsoe, right? They turned that into a bunch of nothing. They botched, they botched deals uh, after deal. They just can't seem to get out of their own way overreaching Sarver passing on Luca right the litany of failures Daz and then poof lightning in a bottle and um, well so by far the more surprising story is is Phoenix now when you look at the journey to get there I think the Bucks the way the Bucks have gotten through this playoffs is far more of a surprise and I, I fully recognize that you know, uh, that they went through the both L.A. teams and Denver, that being Phoenix, but the impossible to ignore story of injuries. It's far more unlikely that the Bucks survived the gauntlet they've survived. Yeah, look, I agree with that. I mean, the, the couple of points I'd make is be, during the uh, during the pandemic, you'll remember we had a an NBA, sort of mock NBA draft where we drafted players based on their salaries and we had a salary cap limit. Etc. And one of the surprising things to me that came out of that was that no one looked at Chris Paul. And I mean, Chris Paul was on a very high contract, but it's like, mm. if you want to win a title in one year, to me, he was probably one of the top five or six guys that I would want to have in my team. And I was, I mean, I ended up getting LeBron James, and I think the second guy I got was Clay Thompson. I mean, having had my time again I probably would have grabbed Chris Paul with that second pick but it did surprise me that no one picked him 
And I just think he's a guy that people have sort of discounted over the last couple of years. And when he went to Phoenix, I I felt from day one he was certain that certainly going to raise the ceiling of that team. And it was when I saw this team play, and I've said it a number of times sort of halfway through the season, I thought, this team's going to get through the West. Because I could see the, the signs in, in the Lakers. I never trusted the Clippers. Uh, I mean, I think had the Nuggets have stayed healthy, I actually think the Nuggets might have been a very close matchup for them. But by due does, he's made a massive difference. I'm, it's, a, it's interesting because he's a guy that I sort of didn't like, particularly during the, the days he was with the Clippers. But he's gained my respect more and more over the years. And I'm so happy to see him in the NBA Finals this year with Phoenix. Follow my breadcrumbs. I love what you've just said. I'm going to build on it. Follow my breadcrumbs, right? We had, um, I'm forgetting my years now, I think it was 2018, yeah, was his first of two years in Houston, and he pulls the hamstring, hmm. right? He pulls the hamstring, and then Houston goes over 27 in the next uh, game seven, wasn't it? And yeah. improbably. And I think all of us at that point, most of NBA fandom, was ready and excited to have that the Warriors team toppled. Not because we didn't like the Warriors. It's just more like, oh my God, can, can these guys... It was kind of pulling for the underdog. And he had that a bit of a calming effect on James Harden. Next next breadcrumb. Now you kind of, kind of have to tip your hat, don't you? When James Harden runs you out of town, that probably means you're, you're the good guy, <laughs> right? Kind of go, okay. Chris Paul cannot accept these working conditions any longer, right? And so he gets kind of gets jettisoned. Breadcrumb number three, Daz. I had I saw it early in the season. I think you clear. I think you jumped on it as well, early enough and called it what it was. Daz, OKC was one of my darling uh, league pass teams last year, right? Watching him execute with Shea Gilgis Alexander and Stephen Adams and whatever kind of the other four or five NBA caliber players they threw out on the floor. Chris Paul would have had every reason to mail it in, sulk, right? Try to get traded, try to wait till, you know, tamper with his pals to get shipped off to Miami or something. He would have had every reason and probably would have had the support of NBA literati everywhere going, yeah, get him out of exile. Nah. He got those guys playing and playing hard. And what, five seed? A six seed? Right? They were a pesky quality NBA team and then of course follow your breadcrumbs to this last stop when he reunites with his his soulmate which I've only come to really learn this season I didn't know this at the beginning of the year I remember they overlap didn't think much of it but he and Monty Williams are thick they are super super tight dads and I didn't appreciate that until I've kind of seen this year play out and you go if he can have that effect on James Harden you know have that effect on a young kind of you know middling roster in OKC going nowhere and lift that entire roster around you I go boy howdy I think all you and I talked about really was this I almost got get chemistry the symbiosis he's going to have with Aiton inside outside pick and roll um, you know uh, pick and roll dive pick and roll p- pick and pop just that gravity he's going to create with Aiton is going to open up everything for Booker and you just sense it right and that's exactly what's happened and um, so that's been, now that you look at this path, it's very, very, it's on brand. It's just so on brand for Chris Paul. Um, one other point, which I'll go back more on Phoenix, and you can run with this where you may, is you talked about 
kind of our, our little fantasy draft, our COVID fantasy draft. You know, we need something else to focus on. Let's redraft the NBA with a salary <laughs> cap. You guys mocked me for taking Devin Booker, Daz. More so, you mocked me and they got downgraded. I go, Luca and Booker, man. I'm like, man, come on. That's a dynamic, dynamic duo. And talk about another guy who's been overlooked by myself included, Daz, is Devin Booker, who um, we hinted uh, at the early at our early playoff preview but there's a guy who is motivated he's locked in he's giving max effort on defense he's no longer a sieve in a turnstile he's not a plus defender but he's not an he's not a bogdanovich negative defender he he's a neutral he's busting his ass and he's as dynamic as ever on offense and i go just that combination of a healthy motivated confident grateful chris paul that we have right now um who if we were to, I might draw this arc a bit too far and you can pull it back in and take this from me. As I go, don't you kind of wish now we did a full season MVP? And man, wouldn't we be voting Chris Paul's name way up the list if he did a full season from regular season plus playoffs? Um, boy, he has, he has ascended. He's a man who lifts all of his teammates around him. And Well, I, I, get, I, I agree with Bill Simmons in the sense that to say we should have a playoffs MVP and a regular season MVP. Uh, I think the point with Chris Paul is he is the biggest floor raiser in the NBA. And I include LeBron in that. And the reason I I would even put him ahead of LeBron, Chris Paul doesn't need to play. And he's going to raise the level of your team. We've seen teams fall apart when LeBron James is not on the court, right? So I think if you assume health, I still put LeBron ahead of him, Right. If you could say, put LeBron on, on the Orlando Magic next year, right? But put Chris Paul on there. Now, let's say he plays 50 games. He's still going to raise that team because his leadership and his personality within the franchise is going to lift that team up to a standard that they haven't been at before. So I think, and, and the, the OKC point is a fantastic one, uh, given what he did, <coughs> excuse me, did, given what he did last year in that, again, raises the floor of the franchise to a point where, you know, they're going to be minimum playoffs. And if you give him enough talent around him, he can take a team to the NBA Finals, which is ex- exactly what he's done there with the, with the Suns. And the, the other point I'd make about the Suns roster is why I fell in love with them halfway through the season is I looked at them and I love teams that go, you know, 12 deep with guys that... I can trust, and we said this in the last pod, I don't care who you're throwing out in that, in that Phoenix team. And Monty Williams has done it with a number of guys. Like we've seen each one more. We've seen Frank Gaminski. We've seen a number of guys that are not generally part of the rotation be thrown into this playoff run, and they've come out and, and contributed. And that's something that I haven't seen from pretty much every other uh, team within the playoffs. It's a great point. So just to your point about floor raisers, I, I think that's um, that's very on point, and it's partly the nature of being a point guard, I guess, right, Des? I go, which is just kind of perhaps inherent in the position he plays, you know, more so than a, you know, the big powerful wing the way LeBron is. It's also, you're, I think you're bang on in terms of mentality and just the way he has to approach the game. Is LeBron is so, is so heliocentric to use that sounds wanky but apt phrase right everything will revolve around lebron when lebron sits everyone's like Duh. 
what do we do now? (laughs) Our boss doesn't, we all just, you know, we, we're in orbit around him. Right. And he's the most powerful feature in the NBA, but we're in orbit around him. Chris Paul does his work through all the habits, right? You can tell he must be the most annoying guy to practice with, right? If you're not ready for a Chris Paul team, man, you are going to practice clinical, precise, repetitive, you know, uh, drill after drill after drill. But man, oh man, oh man, once you do, you're going to get match fit. And that's what allows you to plug and play. Well, I'll I'll say this. I I think Chris Paul's the player version of Greg Popovich in that, you know, Popovich, when, when he had those championship teams, and even now, I would imagine, the first drills that they do when they come back is the basic drills, right? And they do them until they get them right. And you can just sense that Chris Paul's got that same mentality. It's just oh, like, yeah. keep doing this thing until we do it right, and then we move on to the next thing. And we just, there's no shortcuts, you know, and that, that's what we've said constantly about Chris Paul this year and what the effect he's had on Booker and Aiton. It's like, as a player, he demands perfection, right? Or, or yeah. at the very least, yeah. a very high standard, right? And he will not let you cut corners. And it's like, we're going to run the basics until you guys get it right, and then we'll move on to the next thing. You know, what just occurred to me is that, and I'm going to go stepping out of the finals for a moment, way off piste, but it just occurred to me because of, you know, other storylines going on through the offseason from franchises who had enormous expectations on them is the Boston Celtics, right? We've talked a bit about how they've kind of toppled their front office and put a a baby head coach as their pobo um, in Brad Stevens. But in terms of what Ainge basically didn't do, right? Ainge did a lot right, but boy, Ainge has missed on his free agencies. It's imagined as if he'd had the nous or the vision of chutzpah to part with a couple assets and instead of going after shoot first, nice guy, Kemba Walker, he had gotten Chris Paul to pair with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in that roster. Question, man. And back then, right, he would have, he would have been gettable twice coming out of Houston and coming out of OKC. Chris Paul was gettable twice. And Ainge didn't even, I don't know if he made deals or not, but that's a sort of flashed point to me when you asked about, you know, um, Bucks likelihood versus other Eastern Conference foes. I mean, Boston has had so many chances to leapfrog Milwaukee and hadn't even, they haven't even gotten up to Milwaukee's level yet. Yes, they win some games here and there, but they just, they're not a, they're not a legitimate threat with that roster is because their two best players do not make the players around them better. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum do not make others around them better. They are unique, wonderful talents. But man, oh man, oh man, Daz, what if they'd had Chris Paul instead of Kemba well, Daz, Walker? I hate to say this to you, but the player, the Eastern Conference team that was linked to Chris Paul more than anyone else was Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, you don't, don't have to pee in my suit here, Daz. You know, Drew's had a, Drew's played his best ball with Giannis out, which is to ignore his Bledsoian playoffs a little bit. <laughs> 29% from deep on the playoffs so far and some uncanny decision-making. But, um, but my God, Drew's defense, oh, my God. If he, if he wasn't – oh, my God, Daz. If, uh, so sorry. Hilarious. Yes, Chris Paul was tied to Milwaukee. Yes, there was real dialogue. But um, And, yes, he would have cost a lot less than what we paid to get Drew and – 
and fake Bogdan, but um, boy, howdy, that'd have been interesting. That being said, the, the defense that Drew has played is, you know, is it's it's the best perimeter defense in in the. It's just unmatched. But anyway. I'm going off. off well, let's. Um, I mean, let's yeah. look at it from the point of view of the Bucks because I mean the Bucks. So, uh, to to recap where we are from the NBA point of view, uh, the Suns got over the the LA Clippers, who uh, who, who were brave in, and and gallant in defeat, but uh, are learning very quickly that uh, it's hard to trust Kawhi Leonard and the, the weird personality that he has, although. It's still not quite sure what uh, the injury was with Kawhi and, and what was all happening there with his knee and what the future's going to look like there. Um, Paul George certainly played very well. But yeah, I think that at the end of the day, you, when you're relying on the, the sort of cast of characters that they were who were so hit and miss, it was always going to be a matter of, well, one game they're going to be hot, one game they're going to be cold, and that's, that's exactly how it turned out. So I think... Fernie's getting to that 2-0 lead ended up being the key to that series because once Kawhi went out, um, they got that one game that they needed in LA and that was all that was all there was to it at the end of the day to, to get their way in six games. On the Milwaukee side, a much more competitive series than what we thought uh, with, with the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, does question without notice, and, and I've got my own view on this, I mean, forget they put the Giannis injury aside because obviously that even things out. But if Trey Young doesn't tread on the referee's foot and everything else plays out the way it plays out, do you think the Milwaukee Bucks are in the NBA Finals right now? You're saying Trey's 100% and Giannis is out? or Trey's That's right. 100% Trey's 100% and Giannis is out because I think Atlanta are in the NBA Finals. It's a good question. That's a good question. Like, it... Uh, you could make that argument. Yeah, I think that's that's probably... I mean, I, and I'll tell you why it's an interesting question. But, because but I guess, they lost DeAndre Hunter as well. So from Atlanta point of view, you go, if we can get some health luck, we've possibly got a team that's already set up to make the NBA Finals in the next two or three years, right? That That's why I think it's relevant. Not Because, I mean, injury luck happens. I mean, I mean you can't sit back and, and worry about what might have been this year. But I think... It, it's relevant in the in the sense that Atlanta are very well placed to be a, a contender in the Eastern Conference for the next sort of three four years. I okay, two different questions there, right? So I go again. I watched I watched every minute, and Trey Young, you know, shooting, you know, taking away shots from other players. Yeah, obviously that's going to be a more their offense is gonna is gonna perform more. He then has his own defensive limitations, right? Um, but that being said, you don't get you don't get the Cam Reddish game if Trey Young's 100. percent And Cam Reddish went random nuclear. Does he get six three pointers in Game Six? Right? <laughs> well, it's funny and we played... said that. Just yeah. quickly on that, because I said to you the other week uh, in in I think it was two weeks ago, two two podcasts ago, I said the play that they need to finish out this roster might already be on the roster. And we mentioned Hunter and I also mentioned Reddish and we both sort of said, no, we haven't probably seen enough of Reddish. But I mean, we saw a little glimpse of Reddish, didn't we, in that series to make Atlanta think again. Hang on, what have we got here? More than little Daz, I was genuinely, he was talking smack with the confidence of Mamba 2001. I'm not joking. He would drill a three 
and then point and he'd stop. He wouldn't run back on defense and he's shouting. He's got that look like I am the best man on the court. This nobody, this kid. But I go, so as a, as a professional sports fan, kind of going, mate, know your place, your child, act like you've been there. But the other part of me is going, oh, my God, he may never miss. He's so naive and he's so in the zone and he now believes he's the king of the world and he literally can't miss. And so I'm not suggesting, but I'm going, this is a this is a thought exercise. Where you say, is Trey at 100%? Will they win the series? If Trey's 100% and there's no Giannis, yeah, there's no question game six is different. But I go, then you take away Cam Reddish and you take – do you take away the fact that Chris Middleton scored 23 points in the third quarter – you know, even with Reddish was there and he got worse defense. So I kind of go, you, you do have to a little, little bit of put and take, but your argument in, in theory, you know, is, is a fair one, right? A hundred percent Trey with no Giannis. Yeah. You know, the game probably goes seven for sure. Or the, the, the series probably goes seven for sure. But, um, uh, well, let but me put it to you this way. Who's if Giannis didn't get hurt. I go, if Giannis didn't get hurt and he was, and he stayed through all in the Bucks one and six, then I go, you're bang on. I go, Hard for me to say that they didn't because Atlanta just plays really steady. They stay in their lane. They're kind of Phoenix-like. Just kind of they do their thing. They do their thing. They do their thing. They do it. They do their thing. They don't have a lot of variety. They don't have a lot of versatility. They've got enough depth, but they just all do their role. Whereas the Bucks have right this great upside, but man, oh man, oh man, can they have those lapses? They didn't have any in Miami, but they had lapses in the Brooklyn series, had lapses in this Atlanta series. They just go quarters or halves where you're just like, what the flying fuck are they doing? So you're so I I'll I'll, well, I'll bite and say, yeah, if Trey was a hundred percent, hundred percent and Giannis missed those last two games, then I I think you're probably right. It's either Hawks in seven or at minimum is a seven game series. Well yeah. I'll say two things there too. I think the Trey injury hurt Atlanta a lot more than the Giannis injury hurt Milwaukee, right? And the reason I say that is because I think Milwaukee pivoted to the Brook Lopez, sort of featuring Brook Lopez more, and, and Atlanta didn't seem to have an answer to Brook Lopez, certainly in, in Game 5. Uh, and it was obviously a, a tough uh, transition from Atlanta to go to Trey Young, even though Cam Reddish, as you pointed out, had a really good game. The second question, the second part of that I'd, I'd, I'd sort of throw back to you is, who do you think's better placed? I mean, if I said to you, one of the Clippers or Atlanta win the title in the next four years, I mean, who is your money on, the Clippers or, or Atlanta? Look, I'm still going to go Clippers. I like where you're going with this, though, right? I'm still going to go Clippers because I think Kawhi is back. I think Ballmer is going to pay every, every luxury tax you know, in under the sun because he's so unbearably competitive. And I also think there's going to be unresolved questions around John Collins. I don't know. I, I don't know what they're going to do with really critical players like John Collins and um, even Herders available for an extension. Trey is up for an extension. Like that roster is going to get very expensive very quickly in Atlanta. So only, only for real practical reasons does. I would still say LAC, but your point's very well taken. What I saw, I didn't see, you know, this was more than Lonnie Walker in February going nuclear against Houston. This was Cam Reddish in a game six elimination going nuclear on both ends of the floor. And I go, I don't like to read too much in tiny, tiny sample sizes, but I saw more from Cam Reddish in that game than I'd seen the whole season. 
when I used to see Cam Reddish early in the year, I'm like, I don't even, can we just erase his name from the conversation? I'm writing him off. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. He was a, he was like, if Lonnie Walker never got playing time, Cam Reddish mm. looked like he was just dancing around and uncertain and no confidence and something. He's been coached up. Something's happened. Is this the Nate McMillan effect? Um, don't know, but I've seen man, oh man, oh man, his body and his strength is Lonnie like they're very similar kind of bodies. I'd say Cam's even stronger. I go, Daz, holy cow. If one of Hunter or Cam Reddish kind of hits, now now you've got my attention. But I'm still going to go just by a nugget because you've already got Kawhi and Paul George. You're praying that Hunter or Cam turns in to someone resembling Kawhi or Paul George is why I'd still say LAC. But um, it's not to diminish what I've seen from the Hawks. Well, I agree with you to this point. If someone said to me, one of those two teams wins one title in the next five years, I'd I'd say Clippers. If someone said one of those two teams wins three titles in the next five years, I'd say give me the Hawks. Because I think if everything falls into place, that team's going to be a juggernaut. Whereas I can also see things sort of falling away a little bit and you go, well, that was a bit of an outlier, the, the run that they made because Reddish and Hunter don't, and, and, and Collins maybe signed somewhere else or whatever it might be, things don't fall into place. But if things fall into place for them the way that Schlenk sort of has planned it, I could see this team being, uh, as I said, an absolute juggernaut, particularly in the Eastern Conference in the next few years. And there's, I'll build two more reasons on it. I go, I think, um, not to pivot from your framing of your question, but I, if you would have said, you're going to make me really think, who amongst, let's say, because it's now the Bucks, the Eastern Conference, who's more likely to come out of the East? Who's more likely to have more Eastern Conference titles? Let's put the East, Atlanta, Boston, or Philly. You've suddenly now got my attention, right? Mm. Put Milwaukee and Brooklyn aside. Yeah, you got the MVPs on their teams, and Brooklyn's in a whole different class if they're healthy, right? None of us are having this conversation. Probably if Kyrie doesn't hurt, you know, doesn't twist his ankle. So forget Trey's ankle. Kyrie's ankle is still way more important than Trey's, to be honest, as yeah. right? Um, so I go, now you've got my attention, where in the beginning of the season, I think no team surprised me more than Atlanta's trajectory from, again, where we thought, what the hell, overreaching ownership, changing their timelines, through to what they have. Trey Young's going to, Trey Young is now, he's knocking on the door of superstardom. He is now, I know you probably think he is close to Luca level, right? He, he is close to way Well, I think so... he's ahead of Luca level, but I'll probably an outlaw. That's what I'm saying. I go, I, I think he's not, but it's it's no longer, it's now a very, very real argument. Whereas right, six months from now, nine, nine months ago, it wasn't an argument, right? It is now a legitimate argument the way Trey has developed. His passing is something else. Well, I'm telling you too, Daz, why it's an argument to me is off the court matters as much as on the court, right? And prove to me that guys like the player of Luka Doncic. Prove to me he's a leader of a franchise, right? Prove to me he makes other guys better, and then let's have the argument. Because I can prove to you that Trey Young does all those things because you've seen it now. They've gone to the conference finals. They took Milwaukee to six games. If he doesn't get injured, who knows, right? What's what's Luka Doncic done? He's never well, got out of the first well, round. He, he's put up he numbers, put, yeah, but he, he hasn't got out of the first a, round. A Clippers team that actually had Kawhi, Daz, and it weren't for a little well, bit of running. Okay, he had Kawhi, but they were six. But, they were six seed. 
That's why they had Kawhi. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I I think Luca's supporting cast is a is a criminal criminal far cry from from Trey's not only the talent, but I also say I mean Rick Carlisle's coached the crap out of them offensively. But those parts don't fit that. Dorian Finney-Smith and Well, Dwight ask Powell. Rick Carlisle what he thinks of Luka Doncic. I'm not, so off the court, fair enough. But you're also forgetting how Trey was fucking pouting, Daz. We were on this going, is Atlanta a the chugga-chugga Yeah, Daz? but I think, I mean, right? he was... the Lloyd Pierce question, I mean, look, we, we criticised him. And I mean, look, I, I was out on Trey uh, earlier this year, but I think there's, there were issues with Lloyd Pierce's coaching style. Must have and been. as soon as Nate McMillan's come in, um, things have, things have turned around for the better. Yeah, look, it's fair. Look, I, I, I go, we could, you know, this is a, I, I think if you talk about like many superstars of this nature, each of these guys are going to require you to build a roster around them to fit, right? I would still argue, Daz, you can build more, you have more options open to you building a roster around a 6'8 um, playmaker like Luca than you do 5'11 micro playmaker in Trey, right? So I kind of go from a pure roster and talent availability, you have more options to build a winner around Luca because he's more. He's more versatile just because of his pure nature of his physicality and who he is. That being said, he is a prima donna, no question. And he's going to need to be the number one option. Is Trey more of a likable character? Is he more of a likable teammate? I would have said, mm, I don't know before this playoffs, but I suspect the, the shimmy and the swagger in Madison Square Garden the shimmy and the dagger that he hit in Milwaukee, right? <laughs> on Milwaukee's own court, you know, to win that game. Not to, it wasn't the game winner, but that that moment, I think he's risen in the eyes of his teammates. Well, I don't what, know what he's like. What I loved about his class was game seven against Philly when he played poorly, but dominated every facet of the game and was still the most important player on the court. Well, I, I shouldn't say play poorly, he shot poorly. Yeah, and, you know, you, you sort of, I guess link him to his ability to shoot and ability to to put up points, uh, and I just thought that was the game that really stood out to me as a game. Well, okay, this guy's a leader, and they're going to go down with he, you know, they're going to go down with the tray ship, or they're going to he's going to pull them out of the shit uh, as it was, and he pulled them out in that game seven, and Philly wilted obviously under the pressure. Although it's interesting, I think had. Had Atlanta had home court advantage, I think Philly probably win that series. That's as silly as, <laughs> I know. as it turns out. Before you, let's pivot to the West. A question before we sort of get into a bit of a finals preview. How well set up do you think Phoenix are? I mean, is this Phoenix's best chance to win a title with this roster, or do you think Phoenix are going to be perennial contenders? even once sort of Chris Paul uh, gets a bit older, because this, this is sort of, I guess, the last peak Chris Paul, maybe we get another year, but this is sort of, uh, certainly for Chris Paul's point of view, I don't know that we're going to see a better version of this Chris Paul going forward. I'm going to go one step further. It's their only chance. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding. I, I'm not kidding. I, I think this is the other... 
the very real thing, right, is what we all questioned or are worried about with Chris Paul was, of course, the injury history and his durability, right? Mm. The dude hasn't played 80 games since fucking 2014, Daz. Like, it's, I mean, it's been an eternity. He played 70 back in 2016, one of his last seasons with the Clippers, right? But the dude's been playing 58, 59, 60 games, you know, uh, for quite a while. So uh, I, I'm going to say only. Because I kind of go, this team with campaign, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, even with all the internal development you're going to get from these guys, I I think this is their only chance. And why do I say that? One, LeBron is still has a couple years left in him, and he's going to demand that team, right, put everything in. Number two, I just mentioned Balmer is going to pay every luxury tax and repeater tax at any level because it doesn't matter. Money is, you know, like belly button lint to him. It doesn't matter. Um, three, Utah is going to do everything just to re-sign Mike Conley and other, they, ju- they don't have the upside of the two LA teams, but they're very Phoenix-like and they're younger. Um, and so I kind of go, they're, they're a counterpoint. Oh, by the way, if Murray gets healthy, Michael Porter Jr. turns into Jason Tatum of the West and Jokic is the MVP. Daz, very, even, if, even if Chris Paul's very healthy next year and they win a title, what do you have them preseason? Imagine the Lakers make a bunch of reinforcements mm. and so do the Clippers. Five seed? If you're optimistic, you're a four seed, right? So I kind of go, it's just being in the goddamn West again, Daz, is the only reason I say I think this is their only shot. I think it's their only shot. Even what that's probably why the only thing that kept me kept all Bucks fans from jumping off every ledge we could find in 2019, losing to Toronto in sickening fashion and watching the, the poor, God bless them, you know, Warriors go through those devastating injuries. We kind of go, that was will never probably be gifted that much luck again. But here we are two years later, right? Because well, well, they're a younger core. Well, just a younger core. Let's so. flip that around. How, how confident are you of the Bucks? We'll get another shot if, if they don't pull this one off. If Giannis is perfectly healthy, I think, uh, look, they'll be, they're going to be consistently, though, a two seed, though, right? There's like a Brooklyn, pencil them in for a number one seed. If Boston makes major moves around Tatum and Brown, the right moves, they could they could vault up to the two seed. Philly, I think they're going to have to retool. I think mm-hmm. they're highly volatile, right? They could go down to a six seed for a year if they say dump Simmons and have to rebuild around assets. Or I just they're just too volatile, Philly. So I think the Bucks are set up because they got all these guys locked in. Middleton's their oldest guy. He's what twenty nine. He's well, a, I think that's, that's the thing. I mean, there's two yeah. things about it. I mean, you've got one, the Bucks are in the East. Two, they've got a one top five player, arguably a top three player, I guess, if we, if we draw. Well, top shows. five regular season, but in this until this postseason, he's you know he's, he's barely a top five postseason player. Oh, he's, I think he's been I think his postseason, postseason yeah. struggles have been a little bit uh, overblown. I mean, certainly the free throws that's have fair. been a bit of a problem yeah. this this off season, but he's, he's now overall numbers have been fantastic. Uh, Middleton, what would you rank him? A top fifteen player in the league, and and Drew's probably 25, top twenty five. But, yeah, but he's, I think he's his he's also raised his profile with these twenty point quarters. Daz, he's been he's been baby Durant. He just gets his shot. And anyway, continue with your well. I, I think that's the point. I mean, they've got three really top players. They're in the Eastern Conference. I think Giannis, obviously, you talk about a floor raiser. Certainly in the regular season, he's going to get them in that sort of 2-3 seed range. 
So they're going to be thereabouts. They're certainly going to be in the conversation. Whereas once Chris Paul, to your point earlier, like once Chris Paul moves on, like is Devin Booker, where does he sort of rank, I guess? what What's Devin Booker's ceiling? What's Aiton's ceiling? That's going to be the question, I think, for the Phoenix but again, Suns. So as much credit as we give Chris Paul, right, for creating this system, is like if he misses 20 games or he misses a series, like if Chris Paul, like so just have this thought experiment. Phoenix without Chris Paul versus Milwaukee without Giannis. Who do you got? They don't play any games. You got your roster. You got your coaches. Everything exactly the same as it is. This finals. Who wins a seven-game series? A series. Uh, a, Phoenix. A team with, you'd still pick Phoenix, yeah. Well, I, I think, think to my point right. earlier, I think yeah, because I think you're right. Chris Paul changes the culture of an organization. Like Chris Paul's presence is still there, even if he's not on the court, because he's almost like. You're not only getting one of the best players in the NBA, Daz, you're getting one so of the best Giannis, assistant though. coaches. So does Giannis. He's oh. quieter, but yeah. Yeah, but I know, I'm, I know what I'm, you're not, I'm not as convinced about Giannis, but he hasn't missed as much time, and, and we haven't sort of seen him go from team to team. Let's see Giannis go to the Spurs, Daz, and let's see what the Spurs do next year. How about that? Are you, are you saying in terms of floor raising? Is that, that what you're No, your I just want to see Giannis go to the Spurs. <laughs> At this point, you know, you know, much of Bucks Nations is kind of like they kind of just double edged like, oh god, I guess this means Bud's coming back. Like they forget, they can't acknowledge the fact that he did everything differently. Well, I think Bud's needs a lot of credit for what he did after. He deserves a crap load of credit. Like yeah. that game yeah. five victory was down the Buds, and then you know, I think Nate McMillan. I almost think Atlanta would have been better off if Trey didn't come back for game six. Um, because, you know, he clearly wasn't right. And I think they would have been just better off making some adjustments with the roster that they had and try and sort of say, but I think because Trey come back, they said, let's go back to plan A, depending on whatever plan they were on in plan, in, in game five. And it just didn't work. I mean, Trey, uh, yeah. you know, certainly to my eye, wasn't, wasn't anywhere near 100% and shouldn't have been playing that game. So, so that's certainly, but I think Bud's, Look, Buds is never going to get credit from uh, from the Bucks fans. I mean, it's like he is reluctantly now, considering what's happened. I go just to pivot one more time back to Milwaukee. You now we're kind of bouncing all over the place, Daz. But Brooke Lopez has been unbelievable, and I don't just mean the fact he's went went off for thirty three points. You know, in the, in that in that game five, and it was a plus twenty five. Well, in think back, just six. to interrupt you, Daz. Yeah, think back yeah. to the early part of that series when we were sitting there saying, can Brook Lopez Played be on the, the court? Is he can yeah. play it off the court here? You and he gets 33 points. I'll tell you why he deserves credit. What happened was Giannis got hurt and Bud's, and, and Buzz getting killed you know, in the mid-range. is like, all right, Daz, you watch. You won't, but I'm saying metaphorically. You watch game six. Brook Lopez switches Everything, everything. So Brooke freaking Lopez, who three years ago we would have labeled as one trick pony, post up only Brooke, right? The mountain in the middle has a low post game. He's basically, you know, Greg Monroe, right? Three years ago, fast forward then uh, two, two years ago. Oh my God, let it fly. He shoots 34% from three. Oh my God, he's unlocking. He's a big guy in the middle who allows his defensive rebounding and transition offense. And holy cow. He could kind of shoot a three and hit 33%. That's amazing. It's a shame he's such a lumbering f- fool because all he can do is drop zone. But hey, he can stretch the floor. 
to game five and game six test, he's switching and switching and switching and switching and switching. And guess what? Was unbelievable. He's never, never jumps for a pump fake. He's always got spacing. And I go, this is going to be the most un, the most boring nerd observation of the bu- the Bucks. <laughs> but Brooke Lopez's defense has allowed them to switch everything. And Bud deserves credit for having the chutzpah to do it. And but more credit to Brooke for being able to do it, whether it was Herder or Trey or whomever it was. He was switching everything. And I go, can you believe they've taken a 30-year-old one-trick pony in Brooke and converted him to a stretch five with drop a stretch five, a stretch five who could play defense, not only a stretch five who could play defense, but not a stretch five who could play drop zone defense, be an elite defensive rebounding team, and he can see switchable. I go, oh my God. Like underrated, underrated like in internal development on a guy who wasn't a wasn't he was an afterthought. He was a minimum contract vet, Daz. And so I think shout out to Brooke Lopez, who is it's just been a bloody rock, you know, through the through the entire playoffs on both sides of the ball. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you do question whether the, the he would have been able to to play that sort of switching switchable defense had Trey been one hundred percent fit. But the other point I'd make on a positive note for the Bucks, that's why they were switching so much in the regular season because you're ready for these playoffs where you go, okay, plan A where we're doing the drop zone doesn't work. We're going to do the switchable defense, um, and and that obviously did work um, in in game six in particular. And the final point I make is it was a funny thing I saw on Twitter from one of the Bucks fans when they were playing the Nets. They were like, "Why should we be respecting the Nets? We've got the Nets top scorer ever, and he's like our fourth or fifth option." So what would we be worried <laughs> about what the Nets uh, could bring? Bring it to the table. So let's 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 now look at the finals. Finals, itself. finals, finals. Let's yes. let's go to the exercise. So quickly, I mean, give us your your broad overview. So Phoenix have the 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 home court edge. I've tried a little bit of research on Giannis. Giannis is a little bit like Kawhi does. You can't find out whether he's going to play. How serious the injury is. I mean, what's mm. your sense from sort of rooting the two lose first? And well, do you think the Bucks? I mean, if, if Giannis misses this series, if Giannis misses three games over this series, do the Bucks even have a puncher's chance? Or do you think it's just over? Let's let's start the coronation for Phoenix. Because yeah, I don't. So, I think the Bucks are a puncher's chance at least still. Yeah, so uh, Phoenix home court advantage, Phoenix rest advantage, Phoenix health advantage, right? So I'm going to go massive bang, 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 right? Um, home court rest and uh, and injuries, no major injuries. Um, Cam Johnson had an ankle, campaign had an ankle, and they're fine. There's nothing out of the ordinary for this part of the season. Um, Giannis is made of rubber. He's made of elastic. Daz, I I reluctantly watched what happened to him. I wish I hadn't because my knee has also done that bend. And I've had multiple surgeries because of it, but I'm not made of rubber. I'm made of human um, carbon-based life form material. I'm not made of whatever whatever elastic impossibility that that uh, ligaments are coursing through Giannis's body is. But um, Dad, he went through a full practice today. Now he's officially listed as doubtful, but he went through full basketball drills, and so it's very very unlikely he's going to play in Game One. But it looks like highly likely to play. It probably 
I can almost say I would bet my leg. No, I bet a toe. I bet a toe. I bet I bet a, a non-critical appendage he plays in game three. Yeah, he's definitely I, not. I'll make play a prediction. One. I think the Milwaukee. I think for... Milwaukee going to leave him in Milwaukee and say, "You're not playing game one or two. Forget no, he's in it. Phoenix. They, they practice in Phoenix today. So I saw, oh, okay. I saw so, they so had he's reports in, in there. The Journal Sentinel was there, and they had photographs of Bud. Bud, who'd never smiled before, like Bud's got the monkey off his back a little bit, right? And so the Bucks are a little bit playing with house money, thinking one, right, 72 hours ago or whatever it was, they thought Giannis is out for the season, and he wasn't. But still, okay, he wasn't out for the season, but there's no way we can beat Atlanta, but they somehow beat Atlanta anyway. This, is, Oh, by the way, after all the house money they got with, you know, the fact that Durant's toe was on the line, and they somehow unbelievably gutted out the most stressful overtime, a game seven overtime, the most stressful five minutes of basketball I've ever witnessed. They won that. The Bucks are on house money on house money, right? So both of these teams are like just really bleep and happy to be there. And they're going to be really, really, really loose. And so I go, I think that still though favors Phoenix because the Bucks are just going to be too volatile. They just don't have enough offensive consistency. They just don't. Right, the metronome of Chris Paul is going to generate 119 points. The Bucks' offense can outscore them, but the Bucks' offense might also go for 94. Right, so I kind of go advantage Phoenix, advantage Phoenix without without Giannis for sure. So my gut tells me Phoenix is going to win both games in Phoenix. My gut suggests that I think Giannis is going to be held out both game one and two, mm. and they're just going to go. We're going to win four out of five. That's the only way. And I don't think the Bucs will be able to overcome it. I think Phoenix is just too stable. They're too stable. Like Jay Crowder is a good defender against Giannis, even when Giannis is healthy, right? He's famously on Miami last year, right? He's a bit of a, he's kind of the Giannis whisperer, right? And he also got competent defensive players, you know, like Mikhail Bridges and um, Torrey Craig and even Aiton got torched in the regular season against Giannis, but he's capable. He's big and rangy against a 70% Giannis. I think that's massive advantage Phoenix in terms of what Giannis can do. Because if Giannis is stuck in the dunker spot, can forget it. Giannis needs to be in attack mode and in transition. And what team is better in the league than, than, than preventing transition? Phoenix. Exactly. And the metronome and, and that's the sludge, where Chris Paul comes sludge in. walker Chris Paul. He will sludge <laughs> you. Right? <laughs> you know? Everyone's they're not going to go for any offensive rebounds. He's going to take 21 seconds on every shot clock. There's no way Giannis is getting out on transition. So I go advantage Phoenix in terms of defense on a 70 or 80 percent Giannis. Advantage Phoenix if Giannis is playing, and it's uh, transition games. I'm just going. There's just too many logical advantages in Phoenix's way, and I go. I know this is a, a really minor minor point. But this is the one series, the first series, we're actually going to miss Dante DiVincenzo. Like a guy who could go out in the perimeter and switch 1-2 right with against against Booker and, and, and just run and run and run and run against Booker and Chris Paul and chase Paul Paul down from behind. I go, because I think it's going to be interesting how the Bucks play, where they're going to put Drew Holiday. Um, I think what the Bucks are going to do is put P.J. Tucker on Chris Paul. So if they run the 1-5, they can just switch it. So the Bucks are going to be smart. They're going to put PJ on Chris Paul, who's only like four inches taller than Chris Paul, and so it's going to, that's going to be their best shot to negate that that pick and roll with Chris Paul, is um, with Chris Paul and Aiton. If the Bucks can just switch it, you know, if they're pulling up Brook or Giannis, 
and um, they're going to be happy with that. So um, anyway, I think the Bucks have enough answers on defense for Phoenix. I just don't think the Bucks can generate enough offense without 100% Giannis. I mean, I think I there's, there's two interesting things. The first thing I'd say about the Giannis injury, it, it says everything you need to know about Giannis and what people think of him, that even when everyone saw what happened to his knee, I don't think anyone quite believed that would be... I think everyone... like Certainly from my point of view, when I saw it, I was like, no, I think Giannis can come back from that. Like, And every, any other oh, player didn't. in the league, I would have uh, been like, no, nah, it's over. Yeah, I was horrified. Yeah, it's, it's just... that That's the end of it. Whereas yeah. Giannis just has this, I guess, quality. And LeBron's a little bit the same, where it's just like they're... they're beyond you. I mean, that's what we love about the NBA days. That's what we love about professional sports, like Remarkable. seeing people yeah. who are the same species do these amazing things. And that's what we, we love about Giannis in terms of his physicality and the, and the way he plays the game. Uh, in terms of, from a thing, and, and I think the, the great thing about this final series is it takes away the asterisks of it. Like, Obviously, Milwaukee's had their bad injury luck. They've still got through the Eastern Conference Finals. And you're going to sit there and tell me that Phoenix win the NBA Finals. People are going to sit there and say that Chris Paul, this is an asterisk title, given all the bad luck that he's had over the years. This is a guy that had the Kevin Durant Warriors on on their knees and then tweaked his hamstring and, and they were gone. And he's going to sit there. You're going to sit there and say to Chris Paul, oh, Chris, sorry, yeah, you won your title, but... This is an asterisk one because LeBron chipped the fingernail and, you know, Anthony Davis is always hurt, got hurt and blah, blah, blah. Like, give me a break. Like, If we're going down that path, the greatest asterisk in the history of the asterisks is the Toronto title, the two most catastrophic injuries in back-to-back games with Clay and Kevin Durant, right? So if we're going to go down that path, Phoenix just go, hey, hey, look at Toronto. They still fly flying a title, right? Number one. Number two, I know it's an American context. I know America loves to hate things. America's passion is hating things. They seem to love to hate things. Like hating something is so fun to Americans, says the once American. Wish he wasn't, but here I am. Can't change my accent, but as much as I'd love to. They love hating stuff. That No matter what you and I say, there's some going to be some discourse some PR machinery, some ESPN nonsense, some talking head, some hate-filled American, very American thing that's going to put an asterisk on this no matter what. It's never going away. And those of us who are a little bit more, I don't know, grown up, we use our prefrontal cortex, not our reptilian brain, we're going to go, guess what? We were in a global pandemic. And yeah, you know what? Playing in the bubble in Disneyland with no fans and a global terror and death around them, tens of thousands of people dying around them in the state of Florida. You know what? Guess what? LeBron James won a title. Oh, but there was no fans. It was too easy to see, and it was no distraction, whatever. But they rolled out the ball. They, they threw the ball up, and they tipped it off, and LeBron's team won. And bloody flipping deservedly. So the Lakers played great, Daz. I hate to say it, but they did. They won. Right? They deserved a title. Same thing here. You can only play against the team that is in front of you. We just played the most unbearable, gauntlet, injury-riddled, stressful, emerging from pandemic. What did your Spurs play? 30 games in 62 days? Uh, or 38 like games in 60 days. All right, we Every team has their version. The Celtics have their version. 
the Heat have their version. Um, Drew Holiday got freaking COVID in the middle of the playoff, you know, early in the playoffs. They go, just Chris Paul got COVID after vaccination. We're in the middle of a pandemic. You put an asterisk, put an asterisk on society Mm. and go, hey, guess what? Life was different. The world was different. But guess what? I'm, I'm just, I'm so over the fact, yes, it's impossible to ignore that yes, Jamal Murray was gone and yes, Kawhi was gone and whomever else was missing from Phoenix's path. And yes, Kawhi, or sorry, yes, Kyrie turned his ankle in game two or three or whatever that was. I get it. But that's sports, right? You know, that's just sports. You talk about NFL titles have been decided for years based on injuries. Well, I'm Patriots refereeing, but that's a different story. <laughs> bleep, bleep the asterisk. As soon as that ball gets tipped up, right, um, that that game is going to mean the world to those ten men on the floor, Daz. Like it's going to mean. I go. I'm still. I'm still a Bucks fan's first, so I'm going to watch the series from the Bucks perspective. And I didn't think I would get there, Daz, but I, I did. Um, I did get a bit emotional watching, you know, watching game six again. Well, I'll give credit years. on, on yeah. that Daz. I'll give credit to the Atlanta Hawks because they made you earn it. Oh, and when you've God. got to earn it, it feels, it feels sweeter, doesn't it? Like you just a think that was an Eastern Conference A 22 finals. point lead got cut to six and men and people we, we know very, very well, Paul Headley to Dean Maniat to, big personalities, big Twitter NBA personalities, like, oh my God, they're saying, if this lead gets down to six, don't you just, like, the Bucks are going to collapse. <laughs> they took a 22-point lead, cut it to six at home with no Giannis and the Bucks running on fumes. And I go, as a fan, I go, forget, you just, nothing else matters in the moment of competition. As so I go, these talking heads are either just paid to talk shit or the talking heads are children who've never had, never played competitive sport, right? It doesn't matter if I'm playing one-on-one versus cram or against the other 45-year-old dudes at the, the court. As soon as that ball goes up, I've got white line fever. I go crazy, right? Don't you, you go a bit mental? I would hope. You go. It's your competitive juices flow, and we're going to care about that. And so that's what this is about, right? This is about the fans. It's always about the fans. And I'm going to go as I talk about this. I will start to empathize as I get older, maybe not just yet, with the fucking Toronto fans who still celebrate their most, the most gifted title ever. Because I go, maybe that becomes me, and then perhaps I can't, you know, a man in glass houses can't throw any stones, Daz. But um, uh, that's my meandering way to say every team has overcome a ridiculous amount of adversity this year that we've not talked about from COVID to lack of sleep to the to the bodies of the, their bodies put under pressure, to then the normal NBA gauntlet of playoff basketball. I go this these teams are going to be bloody worth. Someone's going to be a worthy champion, and you can take your asterisk and stuff it up your star hold as. Yeah, what I'd well, say. I mean that's what I loved about the AC Conference Finals because after game two you were just like, oh my god, like Atlanta going to just pack up their stuff and go home here. But I mean Atlanta just dug their heels in and made a series of it. And, okay, they lost in six games in the end uh, with, with the injury to Trey as well, sort of 
put in there but even in that game six as you mentioned like making the big comeback and then you look look over to the west and you think well okay phoenix have burned up against it like as you said chris paul going down with covid campaign getting injured and that sort of set them back and you sort of a number of times thought hang on the clippers are going to actually beat this team without Kawhi leonard so it, it sort of both series in the end felt like the conference finals you know you felt that you, you really felt the gravity of the situation in terms of the nba finals itself i i i kind of feel like game one is so critical as I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this i feel like if if milwaukee's best chance to steal one in phoenix is that game one and then if they can steal one in phoenix maybe the whole momentum of the series flips and they can turn it but i kind of feel like if, if phoenix can Hold game one, hold home court in those first two games in particular. I kind of feel like Phoenix, I, I like Phoenix in five here, Daz. I, I, I hate to say it to you as a Bucks fan, but I'm I'm no, leaning towards Phoenix in five or Bucks in six. But I think that, that first two games is going to be absolutely critical, particularly game one. I kind of feel like game one's almost a game seven in my mind, that whoever wins that is a massive favourite in this series to me. Mm. I kind of think game two, I hear you, because I, I don't think Giannis is going to play game one. Bucks only had two days off. But Bucks I almost kind of feel just, like that's an advantage to the Bucks because they've just reckon, played two games without Giannis. Is there a little bit of complacency as Phoenix come into that game one? And I know it's, it's, it's probably pretty silly to say complacency in the game one of the NBA finals, but we've seen this, this Phoenix team, you know, when the first game without Kawhi, you know the clip the Clippers come out and, and played really well, albeit against Utah. But we've we've seen them go up and down, Phoenix, in terms of their their level of play across this series. I kind of feel like Milwaukee are in a groove playing without Giannis, and maybe this is not the team that Phoenix will be preparing for. It's going to be hard to get filmed too to prepare for the way the Bucks are going to play in, in Game One. Here's what I think happened. I think game one is Phoenix 110-94. I think the Bucks a bit take a breath, play the game, settle into Phoenix, no Giannis. Um, but the Phoenix metronome is just too much, right? There's just there's not enough offense in, in Milwaukee to keep up. I think Giannis plays game two. I think Giannis is clunky. I think Giannis is trying to figure it out. I think Giannis is trying to figure out his body. I think Giannis is in his head. And I think He's going to be like Trey Young in game six. So like he's out there. At least Trey Young provides gravity. James Harden provides gravity. They're out there on one leg or a half an ankle, but they're a threat from 28 feet. So you have to defend them. Giannis, no gravity. If he's not attacking in beast mode, I think game two is going to be a little bit tougher, but I think it's going to be clunky. And I think Phoenix kind of grinds out a, you know, a 99-94 kind of game two. Then the Bucks take a breath. Giannis gets healthy. And I go, that's where I think then like almost classic form. Game three is game seven. I think I think game one's a, an easy Phoenix victory. I think game two, Giannis comes back and it's clunky, but they don't quite have it figured out. They go back, make adjustments, get back to home crowd. I think game three is game seven. Like most game threes when they're or 2-0 down, are down to game sevens anyway, but that's how I think it's going to be a little more traditional. Therefore, 
a conclusion of all the possible outcomes, I'm with you. I think it's a, again, if I put money down, I'd say Phoenix and five is the most likely outcome given Giannis's health uncertainty. I, I just, because I do respect Phoenix and what they have, and I go, I think the Bucks have, are playing with so much house money. I think the Bucks have kind of climbed their own mountain. And no matter what happens in the series, because Giannis is hurt, this season's going to go down as a success in Bucks annals. Rightly or wrongly, that's what's happening. That's emotional state. I see it, I've seen it. I can tell. This could be a fault. Mike Budenholzer does. I've never seen him smile as much as I saw him smile today, covering when I saw the, the practice. He's laughing and joking and high-fiving and fist-bumping. Daz, you know Mike Budenholzer. He doesn't fucking smile. Job to be done. Work's not over yet. No, he relaxed. He's chilled out. I kind of go, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's a good sign for Milwaukee. Well, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is if the Bucks are going to win this series, it's because they've fallen into a rhythm in the last couple of games of the Atlanta series, and that carries through the game one, and then they, they upset the Suns in game one. Ah, uh. Do you know what I mean? So that that's mm. the point I guess I'm trying ah, to make. Ah, right, right, if right. You, if you're giving me a narrative that the Bucks win the series, that's why they win the series. They come in and steal game one on the back of... I'm 100% with you. We know, with you. We know yeah. how the player will be at Giannis. Phoenix haven't prepared for this style of game, you know, with, with the sort of Brook Lopez... Uh, in that in that sort of post offense etc um, that we saw part in part and and obviously mids would have to the catch fire and, and drew holiday would have to continue his hot streak um, such that there was one on the um, offensive end so that's why I think that that's where I sort of think game one to me is critical about how we read this series if it, and, and I agree with you I think it's probably going to go the way you've suggested where uh, Phoenix take control of the series very early. But I think if the Bucks win, that's going to be the narrative. The one thing I'd say about the Bucks is once it gets to, if it gets to a game five and, and Chris Paul got a chance to close you out, we've already seen in this series, in multiple series, in the Denver series and the Clippers series, he's not going to show any uh, remorse at all. He's just going to take over the game. And, and put you away. So I think the best chance for the Bucks is to get it to a game seven and really sort of make it into a sort of knock them down, drag them out of fair, or obviously steal one of those first two and hold your home court from there and, and, and get it in game six. The one factor, I, I do hear you. I go, they're, 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 they're really confident the Bucks are and what they've just accomplished. The other thing, I got this stat from is Kevin Arnovitz today. The Bucks have shot just 31% from three, right, in the playoffs. They had 30, they were number two in the NBA, mm. number three in the NBA, and three-point percentage in the entire season at almost 30, whatever, 38%. They're number 31, Daz. This is the lowest three-point percentage shooting team to make the NBA Finals since whom? The 2004 Detroit Pistons. The Bucks are not throwing it in the ocean. Bryn Forbes can't get going. Bobby Portis can't get going. Um, Drew Holiday's been poor, right? Brooks been pretty good. Chris has been pretty good, but everyone else poor to abysmal. I go. There's one possible, just pure analytical perspective. If the Bucks shoot 38, 39 percent from three, 
if Connison gets hot, if Forbes plays some good minutes, if Brooks hitting hitting his, if if Middleton gets gets cranking, that's the one thing they can do. Because in, in a series where I think Chris Paul's going to limit the number of possessions and the number of transition chances are going to be lower without Giannis, that's going to be it. Can you get efficient offense? Which means you've got to hit your shots. And so could be the percentage gods could be smiling on and on the Bucks where I kind of go. That's where I would say. Because I think the Bucks' defense overall, the Bucks' defense is better than Phoenix's defense, right? Kind of even with or without Giannis, um, that defense is still very, very tough in the things that Drew and P.J. Tucker and Brooke can do against Chris Paul, Booker, and, and Aiton. I think there's a lot they can do to keep them in games, to let their guys get cooking. So that's the one place if I squint and see optimism for Milwaukee is that defense stays locked in, stays really switchable. Um, stays stays true is that they just bloody hit have a couple of games Daz, where they go you know 18 for 45 or 17 for you know hit 17 18 threes in a game which you're very capable of at a bit higher clip now you got now you got something so that's where I think well I think the, interesting, the one thing I'd say too about that is they only they shot less than 33s against uh, Atlanta in game six um so I think it's going to be stylistically interesting to see do they continue the style they had against Atlanta where they're not shooting as many threes and they're able to score that way uh, or do they, do they start bombing threes again? Because that's obviously part of the, the change that they made uh, once uh, sorry once the yards went out. That's a great question. Um, what's Phoenix's interior defense versus Atlanta's? It's probably quite similar, isn't it? Where Capella, Aiton, I'd even say advantage Capella there. John Collins and who's the four on Phoenix? I guess it's kind of Jay Crowder. He's kind of good one-on-one, but not much of a help defender, not not a rim protector. He's kind of good one-on-one. They're probably similar similar defenses, so it'll be, it's a great question. Will Bud go with the palm the interior and give it to Brooke, play inside out? Or is he going to do what he did, you know, and let Drew, Drew dominate in the perimeter and let Drew kind of play bully ball against Chris Paul, which could be a fun kind of subplot. Is who's Chris Paul going to defend? Because right, he he's defending Drew. <laughs> Drew's going to put his Charles Barkley ass into Chris Paul, you know, 10 times in a row down the court. And hey, that actually might be a really, really fun matchup to watch, as is the the smartest point guard in the history of the world, Chris Paul, and then one of the fiercest, you know, physical point guards in Drew Holiday, you know, who loves to back you down and kind of push you around. That could be a really fun sort of subplot as well. So how is Buddy going to play it? That's a, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. Yeah, no I should idea. point out I too. No it was, which way he could go. Well, it was game five. They shot 29 threes. But uh, that, that was the game I was thinking of. Uh, when they didn't shoot as many threes. That's when, but, you, but that's when Brooke hit, like, he hit 12 of 13 from two, wasn't he? He just didn't miss, basically, right? That's the game Brooke went for, like, yeah, 30 points. 33 points. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. Chris had 26 and, and Drew had 25. And as you said, they're, they're, hit, they're killing him in the post and the mid-range. And it was like, okay, is that something that we're going to see again in game one of this series? Um, so that, that's why, uh, again, that's why I'm fascinated by game one um, of this series 
more than anything else because the the only way I can see the Bucks winning is if they can carry over that momentum they got at the end of the Hawks series into game one uh, in two of this series and try and steal a game yeah. in Phoenix. So they're going to have to defend like their lives depend on it the way they did game seven against Brooklyn, game six against Atlanta. They're going to have to defend like the like as PJ Tucker says the dog that they are, which is just this relentless, relentless, relentless effort. And I just kind of go, I get that. But man, can they do that for five or six more games? The amount of energy Daz that takes and going, and the minutes—that's the other factor here, Daz. They have ridden Middleton and and, and Drew hard, and PJ hard are playing huge mm. minutes on both ends and extending themselves. I mean, max max extension on both ends. 42, 43 minutes a night from Drew and Chris, and 37 minutes a night, Daz or PJ Tucker. 36-year-old P.J. Tucker is just grinding and grinding and grinding. Well, we often say, we often talk about the buyout players and and it's always a bit of a, I've always sort of felt it's it's a bit overblown, the the impact that these buyout guys have. But P.J. Tucker does, I mean, talk to us about the sort of impact from a fan's point of view that you've seen from this guy, um, particularly in the playoffs. Well, he wasn't a buyout. He was a trade. Yeah. Oh, sorry. He's a trade. trade. He's DJ, basically DJ a throw Wilson. in, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, DJ Wilson and a, they swapped a pick. They went from the, they swapped their first rounder for a second round. So the number 25. Oh, okay. So they, they gave up something so, for him. It was a trade. It wasn't a buyout, right? So that was, but, but your point still taking a, a deadline deal. Um, Look, he has, what he's done has given them what I call a tipping point. Drew Holiday, right, is a very rugged fierce kind of leader and he plays really really hard obviously on both ends and it's, it's quite vocal Giannis is quiet Giannis is a little more Kawhi like in terms of his leadership style and his communication style he is more like lead by example if very unlike Kawhi he's very supportive of his teammates but he's not vocal he's just not he's like come on guys. he's more like cheerleadery PJ Tucker is a leader He's a communicator. He's nonstop, both up in Kevin Durant's grill and in in James Harden's face. And he is just a relentless leader that provides energy. It provides optimism and it provides a, a leader, someone to role model on both ends of the floor. I know, by the way, he's a guy who's had his heart ripped out deep in the playoffs before, right? Famously with the Chris Paul stuff a few years ago, ironically. I reckon he and Chris Paul have a lot in common. They probably are going to um, talk about a warm embrace when the series is over. Watch those two dads hug it mm. out. Now that I think about it, two absolute warriors. Yes, he has been transformative to a Bucks team who was seen as soft. They were seen as too young. You know, Giannis is too gentle. Chris Middleton's too quiet. Brooks too nice. You know, they've had that. That's been their moniker. And PJ Tucker has been like him with Drew, right? Him alone, but him with Drew give you that dog work rate of the Australian phrase, like an AFL work rate. The work rate of the Bucks when those two guys are going is like I've never seen. The work rate the Bucks had to get to in that Brooklyn series to survive. The work rate to overcome the lack of Giannis was extreme on both ends and that's what pj has done he's given them the work rate and the confidence to be able to do it 
And I don't know how Daz, he survived for 37 minutes a night, but he's playing extreme minutes for a dinosaur. But um, yeah, he's in like, I'm sure if he goes to any fan base, I'm sure he was beloved in Toronto and beloved in Houston for years. He is, he is a guy you cannot not root for. Plus he's got all the shoes, Daz. He's a great <laughs> Instagram, <laughs> his fashion, even for the kids, <laughs> super cool shoes. But um, anyway, fan favorite. We want to retire his Jersey, Daz. We love him already. Like we love him. Best, best midseason pickup uh, <laughs> since Nikola Mirotic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daz. Well, look, we'll leave it there for tonight. Enjoy the final. So, are you going to be able to? How confident are you going to watch them on delay? Are you going to be able to watch them live? What's the? I'm trying to move my meetings around and leave a couple <laughs> hours where I think what I'm doing is I think that's late enough. It's like an 8 p.m. Central start, so that's like 11 a.m. our time. It's actually pretty good, Daz. You can kind of sneak it around your lunch hour. So, I'm going to be I'm going to watch the second half tomorrow for sure. Um, I probably won't be able to watch the whole thing, but I, there's no way I'm going to be able to keep myself away from the score and watch it fresh tomorrow night. I'm going to, I'll do my best to watch the second half. How about you? Are you going to have a look? No, I'm going to, I've already decided I'm watching on the delay tomorrow. So we, you okay. won't be, uh, you won't be getting updates. You want to be surprised or do you mind if I, if I... Uh, you, give me a play by play, but I'll probably okay. check it out yeah. later on yeah. uh, once I see right, it. So, uh, but look, looking forward to it. I, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I honestly think this is the two best teams. Look, you know, you've got to have durability in the NBA. We always, we had suspects around a lot of these teams' durability uh, as the season went on. I sort of, sort of suspected. I thought, well, I, I sort of picked Suns Nets, but I always thought the Bucks were a good chance too if the Nets couldn't stay healthy. Um, a number of uh, sort of probably six months yeah. ago now. Um, so, you know, I, I feel it's always a worthy NBA finals, Des. And I just, I'll end on this. So I go, I think what's going to, no matter who wins this finals, is there's going to be lots and lots of tears, not only from the fan bases who, the Phoenix has never won one, the Bucks haven't won one since 1974. You're going to have fan bases melting down with tears of joy. And I think no matter who wins the finals, there's going to be tears from NBA fans of gratitude, whether it's a Giannis Middleton, PJ Tucker, or a Chris Paul title. Like this is kind of a, almost a no lose situation for the NBA. You're going to have guys, there's going to be an NBA champion who the entire NBA community is going to be able to rally around and go, man, that was pretty, they fucking well-deserved. Right. So I, that's why I would, I'll, I'll end on that. Right. It's not just because those are my two favorite teams, but I just think the world's going to rally around, you know, DeAndre Ayton, who's been much maligned and overlooked and ridiculed and embarrassed for being a nepotistic, malignant idiot who got himself suspended with the drugs. And Luca, 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 Luca is, you know, a mm. thousand times better. Chris Paul, who we've chronicled really well. Booker, who's been written off 10 times by everybody except for Kevin O'Connor. And then, right, similar Chris Middleton, who's done nothing but get ridiculed by everyone who wants to be a sycophant, you know, Jalen Brown, Boston Celtics fan, right? Giannis, who's just, for some reason, the world hates Giannis and likes to pick on him. I just, we're, these two teams are going to have such a triumphant, someone's going to be so beautifully triumphant. They're going to, it's going to be a fun, fun celebration. If you love the sport and love the stories of the guys who, who make up these teams. So that's what I'll end on, Daz. Someone's going to, there's going to be tears of joy 
So probably no matter what, Naz, I'm going to be my ball, my eyes out, no matter the end <laughs> of the series, in equal measures of disappointment and appreciation, no matter what happens. Phoenix wins, I'll be balling that the Bucks didn't, but kind of happy. And likewise, if Chris Paul is dejected and probably never gets a chance to win one on my Phoenix team, but the Bucks do, it's going to be, you know, I'm going to be weepy, Daz. So well, I, I take a bit of a different view in 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 a couple of senses. I mean, I think Bucks Twitter is yeah. going to melt down no matter what happens, Daz, because that's just what they do. But I think if if Phoenix win. I think they're just going to drop the mic and say, it doesn't matter what we do the rest of our career, we won a title, who cares? That That's going to be their mentality. Whereas I think if the Bucks win, they're going to take all the asterisk talk that's inevitably going to happen personally, and they're going to come back next year even more hungry to win the title chip than they were this year with really the chip on point. their shoulder. And that's I think, a really good point. You know, when they start 0-2, Bucks Twitter is going to have the hashtag firebuds stuff. <laughs> But as I told you, I get it, but I go, I saw the poll. There was 432 people who submitted results on this poll, more than 400. What's what's your age bracket? Daz, the average age of Bucks Twitter is like 21. No offense to our nine fans who are no doubt that age, but they're fucking idiots, Daz. Like that Bucks Twitter is not what they're talking about. They're children, pimple-popping, masturbating children, Daz, so... But do you agree with that? I mean, the Bucks, if the Bucks win that's it, a good point. they're going to be hungrier point. next year than what, what Phoenix are going to be smoking point. cigars if they, they win will. it, whereas, yeah. whereas the Phoenix Bucks are going to be breathing. Phoenix will be happy with a play-in next year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They will. Aiton will be smoking bombs again. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, the Bucks will do it no matter what. They're, you know, it's, it's work pale. It's, you know... Giannis, who's still in love with smoothies, you know, he's still the impoverished kid in the streets of Athens in his own mind, you know, he's a father, and Chris Middleton is the most humble southern kid you could imagine, and Drew's like this, you know, just religious community pillar, like, these guys have things far bigger than the game, Mm. that's what's kind of beautiful, but also very Wisconsin winsome we're going to find the humanitarian story in this if we lose Daz and we'll be fine. You know, we'll be fine. But um, I have no doubt I'm bracing for tears, Daz. You can tell in my voice I'm bracing for a, a bloody post-COVID, post-NBA, post-Toronto. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably going to need to break down at some point. I just hope it's not live on the Levinson experience. Well, I, my final point is I just hope all the ESPN talking heads have a shit time in their most hated cities. <laughs> I, hope they, I hope they get food poisoning everywhere. <laughs> oh, I thought to only be a waiter when Stephen A. Smith walked into my restaurant in Wisconsin. To only be a waiter, does. I hope the most the ugliest hookers in Milwaukee pop the zits on Brian Windhorst back, man. Like, fuck you, dude. Jerk. Sorry. You might want to bleep that out. <laughs> hey, I've had some gin. Can you tell? <laughs> All right. All right, Dad. We'll leave it there. We'll... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> On a very high class note, we'll leave it there. And uh, look, enjoy the finals. We'll, we'll certainly try and catch up maybe after Thanks, the first buddy. couple of games and, and see where All we're right. at. All right. All we'll okay, right. check man. in. Bye. <laughs> Bye.
with it. Cliff Levingston took the charge, and there was no foul call.